Hello and welcome to this episode of the Transsection podcast. This week I interviewed Mark Silver. He's the founder of Heart of Business Incorporated. Since 2001, he's been pioneering and in integrating spirituality in business in a way that is effective and nourishing. He's helped thousands of spiritually orientated, heart-centered entrepreneurs feel really good while finding plenty of their best clients and making more money. Mark is also a very interesting person because I think it was in the 90s he said he was uh, big on the activism scene, like uh, going to marches and all that sort of thing and getting involved in lots of things, including uh, uh, being part of a, a magazine, like a really big national magazine in the US, that is. And he was even even on Oprah, which I asked him about. Um, that was early 90s. It's not the experience that we hoped that it would be. Being bisexual in the early 90s was not not as uh, accepted as it was today. And even today, it's still a bit of a shit show. <laughs> anyway, so he was big on that. And uh, he's also a Sufi Muslim. Uh, if those For those of you who don't know what that is, it's sort of like, and I, I, I'm about to butcher this horribly, so I apologise in advance. But Sufi Islam is more sort of like the philosophical, spiritual, uh, poetic side of things. I mean, you, you find a lot of that within Islam anyway, but this is like a particular brand. And we talk a little bit about that as well. And uh, it's really lovely. I, I massively enjoyed speaking to Mark. He's such a lovely bloke. And he made me cry twice. No, I made him cry twice. And he made me cry once at the end in a nice way. So, um you are warned <laughs> so anyway enjoy and uh, if you've not signed up to the mailing list you can do so at mooksharrishill.com forward slash forward slash transsection i had to put my teeth back in then there's a little green box you just put your e your name and your email in there and then we just send you uh an email every time we release an episode and then occasionally we might send you one extra in a week but it's never more than two a week so we won't send you too many uh you can also find us on instagram at transsection podcast on twitter at transsection p and facebook under the transsection podcast um in fact why don't you tweet us but yeah we can see from our analytics that a lot of our fans are listening uh, in lots of different countries we've got a few in brazil United States, Canada, UK, and uh, a few different other places as well. So why don't you tweet us or send us a message and just let us know where you, the listeners, are are living and where where you're listening from and how how far are we reaching? Because I know there's there's quite a few quite a few countries on that analytics list and it's it's fascinating. I love it. Anyway, enjoy this episode. See you on the other side. Hi, Mark, and welcome to the Transsection Podcast. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you well, so we're much. delighted to have you. Thank you. So, Mark, um, thanks for sending me the reading material. There's one thing that jumped out, and I thought I'm going to ask him that first. He gave me so much dirt on you. We've got loads. <laughs> <laughs> no, there we go. Yeah. So my very first thing is, uh, and I didn't know this about you, that you've been on Oprah. 
Yes. Yes. T tell me all about that. I don't know if there's as much to tell as one would think. You know, at the time, um, I was the managing editor for uh, the magazine Anything That Moves, which was a, um, at the time, well-known, uh, the only international magazine on bisexuality. And um, it was published by the uh, Bay Area Bisexual Network. And they, their producers had reached, her producers had reached out to us looking for guests. And um, they ended up inviting myself and um, my partner, my wife, Holly. And it was, um, it was not fun. <laughs> this was in the 90s. And um, I don't remember the name of the psychologist that they had, but it was kind of, you know, we were invited on and then dumped on us in terms of like, oh, you know, so, and asking all these questions that didn't make any sense, like, oh, so you're free to, uh, it, it was the whole polyamory, you know, angle. And they, it was like, had you done no research? Had you not asked any, pre it's a, so I was in the strange position of being on this this extremely popular show and needing to kind of contradict Oprah's questions. Anyway, it was, it, anyway, and I was not as um, articulate as I could have been either. So it was, it was, it was kind of this surreal experience. We ended up, you know, on the show and basically got very little publicity out of it. The magazine saw zero bump in subscribers. Mm. There was, there was, it was, um, you know, it kind of came out of it and goes, hmm, well, I hope that did some good for somebody. <laughs> yeah. So it's not the, it's not the normal thing that people tend to think of when they think, oh, you're on Oprah. You know, it was oh, not. Wow. Um, so you, so it sounds like the, the psychologist or who, whoever was on ha had a bit of a negative agenda. Totally negative agenda, totally negative agenda. And I wish my memory was better at this point. Um, yeah. I don't even have a recording of the show. Like, oh. I can't even find a recording of the show. And because it was pre-internet, you know, you can't find it. So who knows? Maybe I'm making this all up. Maybe it was a bad, <laughs> it was just a bad dream. But um, it was, um, yeah, they were, they, they, like, I feel bad for your podcast right now because I just cannot remember <laughs> no, no. the details of the show enough. But I do remember that he was asking questions that were totally off base about bisexuality. Mm. And, um, and it was really, um, and uh, you could see me looking off to the side as I, my memory strains back over the years. And um, yeah, I just, I just remember that it was really unpleasant, uneven mm. experience, and that, um, and that I wish I had been better prepped for more kind of hostile questioning rather than yeah, that's not what you expect at all. I was, I wasn't no. really expecting it, and I should have, you know, and you know, I, I had a friend who. Um, uh, worked as the media, the main media rep for the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force at the time. And I remember talking to him before the show and, and um, just trying to, just trying to get oriented on like, okay, so how do I, how do I prep for this? And um, yeah, and I just, you know, and I was also in my twenties, which doesn't mean anything. There's lots of really smart 
you know, prepped people in their 20s, but I just, I was just so young uh, looking back on it. I just, mm. I realized I could have made a better chance of it. And I, you know, it, as I'm thinking about it, it just speaks to like anybody who's going to be involved in activism, who's going to be involved in media, like there is like you really media literacy and the ability to handle questions and messaging is so important. It's even mm. more important now, right? And it's like when I listen to you and watch you, I'm, you know, and listen to your podcast, like I, I feel like there's like the the next generations, it's so weird to even speak like this. Am I really in my fifties? Anyway, but it's like, (laughs) (laughs) um, it just feels so much more prepped. And so, you know, like there's a, there's because of the internet and because of the proliferation of so much alternative media and access to being interviewed. Um, I feel like there's a lot, there's many, many more people who are way more articulate and prepped than I was at the time, mm. despite running a magazine and despite being involved in national level queer activism. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, that's yeah. Whole topic, right? But. I definitely. Uh, it's. I know that for me, um, I've been running uh, my own page, Genders Together, on Facebook for about six years now, and it's definitely a baptism of fire. I think I was so naive and, and very ignorant when I started. I just started with an interest. And um, I've, I've seen in, that, in those six years, I've seen lots of pages come and go of activists who couldn't hack it or they had to look after their mental health. And um, earlier this year, I had a few months off because I just needed that space. I needed to detach and then come back to it in a healthier way. I can only and, imagine. You mm. must, I mean, I can't, I mean, I can imagine. I mean, I know very well, like, the crap that you probably receive on a daily basis, so. To be fair, actually, I, I'm, I don't know why, but I'm amazingly lucky with my page. Yeah. Uh, um, we, we do occasionally get um, people who come along just to be nasty or invalidating, and they're, they're just, you know, it's like a hobby or something for them, just to go around and upset other people, and fling proverbial poo at other people um but i mean sometimes we get people and and they do seem like trolls but actually there's a lot of emotion underneath for them there's something going on there and there's something very personal that obviously us just existing and speaking has has touched a nerve Um, so sometimes and and i actually posted about this yesterday or this morning yeah i saw that post of yours about like the way you responded and how they came back i've seen that dynamic yeah and and you know what um there's rain dove the non-binary activist um i don't know if you've heard about them but they often Mm -hmm. have shared things where they've talked to uh people who've who've started off their interaction or conversation really horrifically and rain is like oh, wow, you seem to be having a really bad day. <laughs> and and it's the sort of, you know, rain seems to get some uh, trolls that are so just incredibly aggressive and very, like, violent with their words. And rain seems to be able to turn these things around in the most incredible ways. And I was like, I always aspire to, to, be, to be able to um, get uh, positive results out of an interaction that starts off so horribly. But 
so most of the time I, people say things to me and I think oh, I'll just fuck off and die <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, I think that's a very human thing and everything but this was the first time so for those of you who hadn't seen it um, my page genders together just over a month ago got raided and somebody within the group that organized this raid of sort of hate hatred and <laughs> tyranny had messaged me taken screenshots and messaged me and said by the way this is about to happen or if this has happened already these are the people involved so i messaged the instigator and just basically said like and looked at his profile and i said listen you know you say that you're, you're a christian but these actions are not actions of love and you know um to assume that i also uh don't share these values is false and to assume that i also don't know your prophet is you know is a big assumption assuming makes an ass out of you and me um and uh yeah so it was that was over a month ago and this morning i got a message from him via my website to say um i'm sorry for what i did i don't agree with your worldviews but i had no right to do what i did and you deserve to have your own space and i hope you can forgive me and i'm sorry god bless and i was like oh, wow it's happened the first time <laughs> it's just so amazing because that's I, I've had that happen a lot over the years in private spaces, right? It's like you can't do that in public because people, you know, they get in a defensive mode and it's really hard. And I think to be fair, it's really hard to shift deeply driven worldviews and opinions in public. Mm -hmm. You know, that takes such, uh, like, to be able to admit to making a mistake that challenges your worldview in public is such a it's such an extraordinary act yeah of grace and healing that to be able to do that in private is really i think very compassionate and i've seen that i've definitely seen that happen i've been you know uh, over the years posting on um uh, and, and this is, you know, this is the miracle of social media. I just want to say that the miracle of social media is being able to share space with people and being able to listen in on conversations or be involved with conversations without actually intruding on space and without necessarily being in physical danger or putting physical, putting other people in physical danger. Like for me to be able to witness conversations between black folks without me having to actually be in the room and altering the dynamic in that way, or for, um, for, you know, for me to be able to witness women, uh, you know, or uh, it's, you know, like the, the talking about sexism or patriarchy and being able to witness these things and being able to learn such a deep blessing. It's a deep, deep blessing and healing. And so I've been able to, as I've learned and grown over the years, be able to make, you know, these kinds of posts on, um, uh, you know, anti-white, you know, trying to take down white supremacy and trying to respond to racism and then have white women mostly respond to me privately going, I don't understand, can I, you know, and then being able to be part of a healing and a shift mm -hmm. privately because of that. And I, th I think this, um, what am I wanting to say here? Allah. Yeah, Allah. So, I guess I'm just like, I, I was so honored when you invited me onto this podcast because 
at the time when I was involved in much more directly involved in queer activism and as part of a bisexual organization, um, being close, you know, friends and allies with trans folks at the time. And we felt like it was not only society, but we were struggling against mainstream gay and lesbian organizations mm. that were just like unable, like they were so embattled themselves that they were unable to embrace non-binary ways of uh, approaching sexual or gender expression and identity. And it was, I'm just like, my heart is so open seeing, I'm like gonna be in tears. Just, There's been so much when I think about, and I know obviously so many people are still in danger. I mean, obviously we're not in utopia or anywhere near it, but like the changes I've seen since I came out as bi in 1988 is just, in, I mean, it's, I'm just in awe of what has shifted mm. in so many spaces. So yeah. Thank that you. was a little journey I just took on, huh? <laughs> I don't know how coherent it was, but it just, there was this rush of emotion, so. Yeah, no, I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Mark. That's lovely. It's funny because you, sometimes when we've, when we've talked, you've talked about um, not being involved in activism anymore, but then obviously so much of what I see in so many of the conversations that you're having tell me that that's not really the case. So what what do you think... How, how is it different now? Because I mean, you, you've said before that um, your activism before, you know, you weren't you weren't well paid, and that a lot of that was whilst you were an ambulance uh, paramedic, right? Right. Yeah. So, and you were saying that <clears throat> um, you know you weren't really getting paid, and you were kind of struggling, but you were so dedicated in in such a you know you were spending so much of your time. So, how how has activism changed for you? Because you've clearly not. Once an activist, always an activist, surely. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I guess I, I guess it depends on how you use the term. Like, I, I may be using it a little bit old school or whatever, but it's like I was, when I considered myself to be much more of an activist, I mean, it started out with, like, doing abortion clinic defense against Operation Rescue, like, being in the street and, like, you know, escorting and protecting and, um, and then uh, running... A nonprofit magazine and like being, you know, just being in the street and being like engaged with it a lot. Now I find myself, I'm, I certainly speak out on issues. I mean, you know, I'm, you know, doing a lot of writing, uh, mainly in social media spaces around it. But my everyday life, you know, I mean, I'm married, I have kids, I'm running a business, and um, my, I tend to think of myself more as an advocate and a, you know, and a writer and, um, and I'm just now trying to figure out, like we're in this new, like as of a year ago, we've moved to this new city and I'm like, how do I connect to local community in ways that are useful? And um, I, you know, I was down, we had the Black Lives Matter protests um, like everywhere else. I mean, Harrisburg is the capital of the state of Pennsylvania in the United States. And so I'd live about a mile from the state capitol building. And that's where the protests have been, you know, a lot of them. And um, I was down there uh, with my kids one day. And, uh, and then I was called back later that day 
by a friend um, who was down there saying, we need more white bodies. You know, things are getting a little iffy. And I showed up down there and I'm like, I showed up in this space where there were a bunch of riot police, our militarized riot police, mm. you know, and a bunch of black activists. And, and I was one of very few white activists with my backpack, with my first aid kit in it. And I'm kind of my bicycle helmet on and I'm kind of like making my way towards the front. And I'm like, I just had this like flash of like in my heart of like, okay, so what is my role here? Like I'm this 50 something year old white guy who is like, my body doesn't heal the same way it did when I was in my twenties. And like, I'm facing down riot, riot police. Like, is this really where I'm supposed to be right now? Like, I'm not clear where I'm supposed to be right now and how I'm supposed to be serving. And so that's, I guess that's the distinction I'm making about activism. Cause I think there's been some very, very smart, insightful um, analysis about in a movement, there are many different roles. And I think of activist as a specific kind of a role as opposed to, um, you know, uh, being engaged with healing or being engaged with lobbying or being engaged with, you know, community organizations or being engaged with food security and planting gardens, which, you know, it's like there's, I think there's so many different roles. And so when I'm using the word activist, I mean that I don't think my primary role is to be organizing and out on the street. Although if there's a general strike, I'm there. So I guess that's the distinction I was making. Right. That makes sense. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So um, <clears throat> another thing that I read uh, on the information that you sent me was that you were, I mean, um, you talk quite often about um, being a Sufi Muslim, but yeah. you said that you were expected to become rabbi. Yes. So tell me about that, that journey a little bit. Oh, is it not obvious? No. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, hmm. How to do that without spending like hours on that itself. <laughs> so the short version is that my wife, uh, Holly, has been chronically ill for years. And part of her healing path is that she came across a uh, healer trained by Sufi, Sufi healer, spiritual healing. And, um, and I got pulled into that myself. And we were quite active in the Jewish community at the time, um, Jewish renewal. And... And the, the, it just struck me to my heart, like the teachings and the transmission. Um, and we have uh, our sheikh who passed a few years ago, this little cute Palestinian man who was actually one of the main teachers of the Al-Aqsa Mosque in, in Jerusalem. And um, he's uh, got Sufi students all over the world uh, and quite a community here in the U.S. And, and I just, I, it's like, I had this really deep message come to me as we were learning about the Sufi healing. Because at the time, I was also starting to do the work with business that I do now. And one of the Sufi teachers there, one of his teachers under him, an American, um, was saying that, uh, you know, we can use this healing to heal, to work physically and to work spiritually. We can also work with organizations and businesses. And I'm like, you can heal a business like that's so interesting. And I was really drawn to that. And so when I went through the training, 
part of the one of the spiritual experiences I had was because I was still bringing my sudor and to the mosque <laughs> in the Sufi community and um, and I just remember hearing this message in my heart you're loving the path more than you're loving me capital M and it just kind of shook me where I was like really needing to listen deeply and so I just surrendered in that moment and realized that I was supposed to really learn and and there's been such a deep integration in my heart over the years that the Sufi path and Judaism and I mean it's I mean all the spiritual paths are basically saying the same thing they're just Mm -hmm. different practices and different understandings and um and I just like there was just such a deep healing in my heart between Islam and Judaism, and um, and so I've been walking this Sufi Muslim path with a deep honoring and still continued, you know, uh, some practice of the of the Jewish, you know, history that I have. It's um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to say there, but that's kind of like the essence mm. of how I ended up kind of so deeply committed to this, to this piece. That's lovely. Yeah. I, I love a lot of the things that you share and um, I'm very much a believer that all, all paths lead to God anyway. So I always, um, I always find it interesting. And uh, um, Jordan and I spoke on episode seven. Yes. All about our, um, sort of coming from like anti-queer um christian religions of Mm. different um denominations and then how sort of healing from that we both realized that we still needed spirituality and obviously our our paths are very different and we've done that separately like without knowing each other or anything and um i i do find that a lot that there's it's where you find value and it's where you find connection to the spiritual or divine or whatever. And it doesn't really matter. And, and I, I, I so often feel that that spiritual connectedness with all kinds of different people. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I really feel that if people were really tuned in, whether they were religious or not, that they would so easily see God or see the divine in many other human beings and you know you just feel it it doesn't really matter like what the label is or how somebody got there you you know i think when you both have that that um that thing within you you can see it in another and yeah it's the yeah i mean there's a yes yes and I, i you know the reality of in my experience that there's this oneness that we all come from and you know, like the, the the different mystical ways of people in their heart touching and living and walking with that reality and emanating that reality, transmitting it. it, it it's, I feel like it's such an important part of the change that's needed. You know, it's like for you, like the example that you gave earlier of responding to that person who did the raid on your page i mean that's such a i mean for you to stand in strength and yet also extend compassion and clarity like there's that's i mean that's a 
I mean, that's ministry in my mind. That's a healing process. And there's a, there's a teaching that one of my teachers gave us early in the training was like, how do you say no without closing your heart? Like without hardening your heart, like how do you say no? And I think that that's one of the, one of the deepest teachings that we can embrace. And one of the things I love about Sufism and Islam is that the central, one of the central statements is la ilaha illallah. And la ilaha illallah starts with the word no. It's like, no, there is nothing but oneness. And it starts by saying no to illusion. It starts by saying, it's like the sacred no that enables our whole heart to turn towards the source of love, to let go of all of our attachments to dualism, to separation, to, you know, to the fight. And, and that's what I saw in that post that you shared. It was like, you weren't collapsing, you weren't ceding any ground, you weren't but you weren't also dehumanizing the other person. Like you were, you were calling this, this, uh, you were just call, oh my goodness. I don't know why talking to you. I'm like, I, I'm just being reduced to tears for the second time. But it's, um, it's uh, it was just, it was just so beautiful. It was so, such a beautiful example of what I aspire to hold on a daily basis and what I, you know, I hope that, we can all learn to. Thank you. Hold. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it helps, I'm surprised. <laughs> like, I, I do feel like you have to get out of your own way and it's not really you. I, I, I feel like you channel these things. Definitely. It's not, it's funny, isn't it? Cause sometimes people are like, that's amazing. And I'm like, I just got out of the way. I didn't, I don't want to take credit for it. I just, I just let it happen. And I, I heard my ego that was just like, oh, I want to tell that person to go fuck themselves or like make a horrible mum joke or something. And I'm like, ego, I hear you. It is annoying. I acknowledge it. But we're going to see that if we can get something better out of that situation. And the ego's like, oh, yeah, all right, give it a go then. It's going to be pointless. <laughs> <laughs> So it's so funny. I think, you know, I, I think it's important to um, bring humanity to these moments as well and like be honest about it, that um, these things are difficult and it takes practice and like willingness for it to go wrong. It's so much easier to cut people off and be like, oh, fuck off, you wanker. <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, I'm, I'm amazed and and uh, there's definitely been a shift i think for a lot of people around me i've noticed as well in that people are starting to communicate differently um i'm seeing a lot more argument and a lot more people getting angry and being very nasty but then i'm also seeing lots of people who are starting to join in with love a lot more and um i was listening to eckhart toller on uh, um, russell brand's podcast recently and he was talking about the, the current situation of the world at the moment bringing out these you know people are either going to react with more fear and they're going to become like more entrenched or they're going to start to question things and come together and I, I really like that so um <clears throat> so yeah I, I like Mark um how much you shared that things are changing because I often think to myself 
I mean, I listen to people like Kahindi Andrews, who says like, like with the Civil Rights Act <clears throat> and uh, Black Lives Matter and things like that, um, like slavery became abolished, but then they just kind of moved it into prisons. So they were like, well, slavery's, um, you know, so it, it's kind of like there are incremental changes, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the people at the receiving end are that much better off, if at all. But then I listen to things that you say and other people who say things have changed um, a bit. And I think it's very easy to get caught up in like the negative or thinking like that things won't get better. But, yeah. but I guess you've been around for longer. So, I mean, and the, the fact that you were moved earlier thinking about it, I was like, yes, this is real. <laughs> <laughs> things are changing. It's, it's, it's slow. I mean, it's gla a glacial pace, but it's speeding up, I think. And, and like you said, because of the internet, we now have like an equal platform where anyone can have a voice. It's true. And, you know, I, I, think, I think some of the change I don't know. I don't have any ultimate answer on any of this, but I, I wonder and I suspect if the fact that the U.S. is coming to the end of its empire, at least that's what it feels like to me, late stage capitalism, it's starting to really crumble. The cracks are starting to show, like the people that are supposed to have benefited aren't benefiting. And of course, there's a, you know, fascistic response to that you know, among certain members, you know, certain populations within our country. And, um, and yet there's also like, the country's just getting, you know, browner and queerer, you know, like there's just, it's like, it's, it's happening. And it's, it's ultimately going to, um, the demographics just, you can't help but shift. You know, and it's like, you know, it's not going to be too long before white people are in the minority. And like, that's obviously not a panacea. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> uh, nobody's inherently better because of the color of their skin or, or what or not. But I but I think that just like breaking the back of American capitalism is going to free up a certain amount of creativity in response and um, and really give us a chance to, I don't know, there's just, there's just a chance. I, I, there's so much that I, 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 I just, I felt like four different kind of analyses kind of come <laughs> in at once there because there's like the capitalist analysis and then analysis and there's the analysis of scale, which is kind of related to that. Like, I just think that the U.S., um, you know, speaking from the perspective of where I'm sitting geographically, is just too large. It's just too large. And I think the same is true for corporations. Like, they're just too large. And when they become too large, um, uh, you know, and I, I have friends who are corporate consultants who say it's not the scale, it's like all of these other things. And I'm like, you know, the scale is part of it. Mm. Because when, the, when it's this large, then you can't have direct accountability. Like, here in the city of Harrisburg, I've met two of the city council members. Like one lives in my neighborhood and one, you know, it's like another one, her mom goes to the church up the street for me. It's like, and I know her mom and I, you know, met her at a breakfast. And it's like, I know 
like there's a possibility for engagement and human level accountability that doesn't happen on a larger scale. And on a larger scale, you can concentrate wealth and power to such an extent that it becomes very hard to topple it and change it. Like who, who can knock on the door of the, you know, CEO of Exxon, you know, or, you know, or of Amazon to like, you know, or Mark, Mark Zuckerberg, like you can't get at his front door to confront him with all the crap that's going on. And, um, but for human scale enterprises, like you can, mm. you know, if there's a company here and that's, you know, that's doing wrong, like we can show up on their front door. We can, you know, there's a, there's a level of accountability that's not possible otherwise. And that's, part of my hope is seeing that scale break. I mean, that's a huge part of the work that I do in business with small businesses. It's like the more that micro-sized business, businesses can thrive, like that really helps to start to shift the economy mm. in ways that, um, that aren't possible if all we have is a monocropped landscape of global corporations. Yeah, agreed. And I, I see a lot of what you do in helping people um, and micro-sized businesses uh, as part of that change, because I think about, you know, however many, not even that long ago, 100, 200 years ago, you know, there was often a family business or a family trade. And obviously with like factories and industrial revolution and things like that, that really changed things in a big way and and it's continued to um and now individuals are so reliant and they're so used to being employed they think that it's secure they don't realize how much they're getting ripped off that the amount of money they make is not anywhere near what they get paid um and yeah and i see so much of that and so many people saying oh well i might as well be self-employed like what's what's the difference i would get paid more for my time and you know i i think about even my own um entrepreneurial adventures and people say well, why don't you go and get a job for like in the cafe for a bit and i'm like it, it would take me an entire day to earn there what i would earn in one hour right. being self-employed right i mean this is the thing about capitalism like large corporations the only thing that they're more efficient at is concentrating wealth it really and like you were i mean even mentioning the industrial revolution like the only reason the industrial revolution could happen is because of uh slavery in the u.s mm -hmm. there was a direct connection because suddenly all of these cotton gins could produce way more cotton and textiles then you know <laughs> i mean it was like but it's like where was the cotton coming from like the only thing that could supply that much cotton was chattel slavery that yeah. was inhuman genocidal um use of uh, you know other people's stolen labor and without that without like the built-in exploitation of these larger companies it just the whole system falls down mm. the whole system falls down it's like large companies are like <laughs> i there are there are you know i admit that there are probably a few technological things that you would need a larger group like building a jet plane but then you have to start to question like so we have jet planes that are 
including the, you know, it's like, like if you're forced to operate at a smaller scale, you're forced to come up with much more creative local based responses to things that are, that are much more nimble. And when you see something going wrong, you don't have a hundred billion dollar corporation rushing down this road that says, well, we can't change this because I can't profit as much. Whereas if you have a smaller company and it's like, oh my God, we're destroying these things. And not only is it a terrible thing to do, but we're going to get the backlash. Maybe we need to shift. Mm. And um, I just, uh, it's all so bound together, like freedom and liberation and capitalism and global corporatism and slavery and exploitation. Like these are all, all of these things are, linked in ways that are really quite conscious. Um, I don't think we even have to talk about conspiracy. I think it's just, it's all out in the open, like mm. how exploited labor leads to legislative control, leads to, you know, uh, oppression leads to, you know, it, it, all, the, all the links are there. And what we need is all of us bringing our creativity to the places where our hearts and our skills are most alive. Like I'm working in business because that's where I'm most alive. And there's a lot of creativity, creativity there. And there, it needs to happen, but that's not the whole solution. Like the whole idea of having one single solution or one single answer mm. is a white supremacist capitalist answer. Like the answer is Collective. biodiversity, right? Yes. It's like, collaborative it's like yeah. many many people yeah and i i get that a lot um it, it's so important it's so funny isn't it because uh, i find this a lot when i'm trying to explain like uh, a new concept to somebody or uh, well new to them of like how things work or what frameworks you can use to have more open conversations and so often people don't seem to understand the concepts that i me and and many other visionary thinkers and stuff we're not trying to take the current system and replace it with a different one we're saying just get rid of it all together let <laughs> things let things be open let things be nuanced and and you know and they're like well okay well i've been following this person but if they're not ethical I'll, sh I'll should i follow a different one i'm like don't don't follow any don't <laughs> don't idolize anybody and they're like oh so this is what you're this, this is what you say so this is the rule and i was like no this is this is you know uh, yes i imagine jesus <laughs> running into the same issue no that's yeah. not i know no oh, so we'll, you know, and they like think the that yeah exactly <laughs> we're all individuals i'm not um, <laughs> so, but it's this idea, is it, that people don't seem to understand the concept that because you're suggesting something new, you're not suggesting replacement of the old. You're saying like, I, I'm not trying to emulate any of this, and there's not one person you should be looking up to. There is not like one I ideology or, or one solution. Like it's it's a, a massive collective effort, and that we should be equally listening and valuing. Uh, everybody's contributions as much as much as our own and as much as you know to the point that we shouldn't have this one single narrative or this one idea of how we do anything every time that we speak about it we should be aware that we, we're talking about one method of, of a million right and right 
and yeah and I think I, I see a lot of what you do with your business and encourage you know helping people to thrive on their own without all of that um, kind of entrapment and I see that as a big part of the the evolution of, of our society thank you because that's my intention and it's so beautiful to have that reflected back and so I'm really I'm really grateful and um yeah because I get that a lot you know not a lot but I see it's like oh so you want to you want socialism it's like no do you want communism I'm like I don't want a like a one single monocropped system mm. where the main focus is on economic activity like that is not going to work you know it's like I'm you know it's it's and it's the same with any you know with anything like in diet like I remember having a few years ago having these conversations about like well we should be, you know people saying people you know individuals that I was witnessing saying well veganism or vegetarianism I'm like have you ever lived in a northern climate like where you cannot where you can't grow things year round and it's like you know there's a certain amount you know there are certain regions and certain places like after living in Ithaca where the you know which isn't even that far north compared to some folks you know but living in central New York state where you know the the average last frost date is mid-May and you have a very short growing season it's like there's a certain amount of animal protein that if you're not depending on things being shipped thousands of kilometers it's like you're you're going to be demanding depending on some animal protein you know mm. and it's you know and and so i just this this whole piece of like encouraging people to be yes we i love being connected globally but the solutions have to come from local community because local conditions are so variable and even if they're similar isn't it cool that two similar communities could come up with two different answers to the same problem in ways that could enhance both communities if there's communication it's just i mean to me that's what's so delightful about humanity there's a there's a sufi saying it says we want to yes we want to recognize the unity and the multiplicity but we also want to recognize the multiplicity and the unity like all of this is divine the great sheikh al akbar um, um said um uh, ibn al arabi said that each thing that exists only exists because the divine lends its presence to that thing and to be able to see the holiness and the sacredness in each little individual part of creation and how we combine and how we grow in such stunningly unique ways depending on the soil that we're in is to me part of the part of the miracle and the inspiration in life mm. yeah that's lovely i like that so with what do you think is very different about how you do business coaching or business support that you don't see in other coaching circles or yeah I'm really grateful that over the last 20 years, there's been a lot more spirituality that's come into the awareness of spirituality in business. Um, my colleague, Martin Root, who kind of coined the term, um, 
spirituality in the workplace. It's, you know, we've just seen tremendous amount over the last 20, 30 years. Um, and, but it's like a return. And so I, I kind of resist saying like, what do I do differently? Because there's so, like everybody does things differently. Mm. One of the things that I take particular delight in is um, I, you know, I was a paramedic. Like I, like I'm very practical. Like I like to see, I like to see our clients make money and get clients. I like to see the businesses work. I like the details and getting it. And what is so stunning to me is when we can find love present in the details of business, the kind of approach that I don't tend to enjoy as much is, you know, is the kind of gas tank approach to spirituality and business where you fill up at spirituality and then you go do business in the old way and then you get drained and then you go fill up again. Like I want to find the love in the marketing. You know, we've been seeing, I've been really, really moved because some of our clients recently have been saying, Oh yeah, I've been really like, I've been like in the sales conversation, there is love and connection and creating the marketing message I can feel the love present and it's, you know, and like, I want to, that's what I, that's what moved me to start Hearted Business in the first place is when I was, I'd had all this marketing and business learning that I'd been doing and I grew up in small business and, and then I was studying these esoteric Sufi teachings and I was like, hold it. I'm seeing that teaching present in this business practice. And we can emphasize it and bring it out a bit more and make it really explicit, not necessarily explicit meaning, you know, like explicitly Islamic Sufi way of, you know, like, you know, you must chant to Arabic and, you know, but, but to notice that, oh, like, for instance, if I'm naming a problem, like they tell you to do in marketing, I'm naming it from a place of witnessing the perfection and the beauty in someone and also deep empathy for the challenges and not needing to kind of frame like like not re-traumatizing people with it <laughs> you know it's like we need empathy we need to be seen we need we need love and care and when that love and care comes in like people have breathing room and then they have access to their own discernment. And then I can trust them as an equal human being to discern whether what I'm offering is what they need or if they need something else. Mm -hmm. But that's what, I, that's what I love about the work that I'm doing and what I see people digging into with, with, uh, with the heart of business curriculum and teachings. It's like, yeah, okay, so there's this weird thing about systems or this we're writing a promotional page how do you find the love in in that rather than trying to bring bring love to it like there's an inherent love and sacredness in everything and if we can find it then we don't have to be you know carrying water to an oasis we can make the business an oasis mm. i love that analogy it's amazing Thank you, Mark. So if, um, if anyone wants to get in contact with you or find you, where can they look for you? Start with our website, heartofbusiness.com. And, um, you know, I'm on Facebook and I'm on elsewhere and I'm happy to connect with people there as well. Um, 
but I really encourage every business to like have a direct connection off of those platforms as well, because you never know when I'm saying something or you're saying something and then you get banned and then you no longer have access. And so if you can have a direct connection, so yeah, come to our website, heartofbusiness.com and, um, you know, and see if you resonate and take a look around and Oh, lovely. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining me. It was a lovely interview, I thought. I loved, oh, I loved interviewing you. Oh, yay. I just love being in space with you. I wish I could give you a hug right now. And um, Likewise. To me, you want to yes. <laughs> but um, that, that's the urge. Is to yeah, around yeah take that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hug you whether you want it or not. That's Brace yourself. <laughs> but... Um, but I'm just, I'm just so, I was, I'm grateful that you invited me into this space and I'm just grateful for your presence in the world and the love that you're bringing. So oh, bless thank you, you Mark. bless all that you do. Thank you. You're going to make me cry now. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> it's <laughs> my fair. turn. Yeah. Just me. <laughs> oh, Mark. Lovely. Thank you so much. All right. Blessings and blessings. Peace. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Transsexuals Podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed listening to uh, Mark and I having a chit-chat. I thought it was lovely. I enjoyed it, but I hope I'm not the only one. <laughs> so thank you very much. Uh, next week, or no, it's, I can't remember if it's next week or the week after, but um, I've just interviewed Ashwini Prasad, who is the inclusive screenwriter. And it was really magic talking to her, so informative, really lovely. We had lots and lots to talk about. And yeah, always magic when I'm talking to Ash, Ash, Ash Winnie. Uh, so we've got that coming up as well. And I want to put a call out, and I've, I've called out uh, for this on social media. We are looking to feature some fan fiction. Now, the two criteria is first of all that it has to be funny and we're allowed to laugh at it because obviously we don't want to laugh at anybody's like serious work yeah so satirical or something like that or a bit of a piss take like just something funny um and the second thing is that it has to be in some way queer like however that's cool just that we're allowed to laugh at it and that you know it can it can be smutty if, if it if you want it to be that's fine um I'm quite a fan of My Dad Wrote a Porno, if you've heard that podcast. And also, I've listened to a few episodes now of Potterotica, which is where they read fan fiction of erotic Harry Potter. Obviously, it was a while ago since I've listened to that, and we've all got a lot of feelings and opinions about that the Potterverse since all of that stuff. So maybe we'll still steer clear of anything like that because uh, it's meant to be fun you know and uh, kind of guilt-free don't get a lot of guilt-free things now so that's the idea so if you could please email us um transsection podcast at outlook.com um you can send or, or just message us with like a link to your uh google drive or whatever uh you know on social media or whatever you can just let us know and and send your submissions in we'll promote your work and uh, jordan and i are planning to read it out and it, it's just meant to be a laugh we're, we're looking for comedy really or, or at least something that's like so bad that it's good send in your your nominations or it can be it can be your own work too that's okay um if you're not going to promote yourself then who is 
yeah, send that in to us. We've got lots of good things coming up. And uh, go and have a look at our shop. We've got lots of things in there. Surely you've got someone to buy a gift for or, I don't know, maybe you fancy something for yourself. Yeah, all the stuff we sell is, is all all good fun. All, all uh, upbeat and positive positive things. Oh, and we also have the design, the non-bino dino design, which I brought out a couple of weeks ago. And I love it every time I go to, to promote it online. Like, oh yeah, that's good. Um, I'm going to order some bits on payday for myself. Um, so then I can I can wear them on the podcast and, and fashion them for you, darling. So yes, anyway, thank you very much. Remember, come and find us on social media or sign up to our mailing list, mcfarrishill.com forward slash transsexual. There's a green box, you just put your name and your email address in there. And Bob's your uncle, it's done. It's easy. No more than two emails per week, that's the rule. I don't want to spam anybody, like, can't be bothered. Don't want to put anyone off. Oh, and also, I am putting together a course. Uh, some of you don't know this, but I'm an NLP practitioner as well. And I help people just coach them and talk to them and educate them and, and uh, help them process their stuff. So not like a counsellor or a therapist, a bit more practical than that. Um, but basically I have started working again uh, with all my sort of trans coaching and educating and things. And I've started to work with parents of trans plus kids so that they can become better allies, better informed and have a place to kind of express themselves and work through their own feelings without obviously making it their, their kids problem. Because that's, that's obviously what we don't want at all. So if you're interested in anything like that, you need that kind of support or you know somebody who is looking for that sort of support, that acknowledgement, uh, education and all that sort of thing and, and a place to work through their learning and kind of uh, letting go of old feelings and things like that, just put them my way. Just be like, here, my mate Harris on the podcast is uh, is doing this sort of work and you, you need help. So here you go have that <laughs> you'll probably do a better job of selling it than i just did <laughs> anyway take care we'll see you in the next episode and until then build bridges and have fun bye